0: I just want to pay homage to the Buddha, the wise one, the noble one, the blessed one. "Namotasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa so Dhamma or Dhamma, the supreme medicine. Often um, we first come across the teaching at a time when life is presenting us with many challenges or or maybe a big shock maybe the our trajectory in life what we think we're doing where we think we're going how we think it's going to be suddenly isn't like that and uh, we get we start questioning uh, what what's it all about this life of ours what's important what matters and um, It can be a painful time, you know, start to notice the places where we have not really been living according to what's important to us. You know, maybe we've been uh, living a prescribed life that somebody else told us would be a good thing to do, but it isn't quite right for us. Or maybe we've been, uh, you know, keep staying distracted and just keeping on the surface of things, and and uh, and then there's this call to something deeper. And maybe we've been very successful; everything's turned out the way we were told it's supposed to, but that doesn't really bring us the happiness we're looking for. So then, this question starts to come in, and you know, what's it? What's it all about? What's the point? What's the purpose? What's important? How can I live this life in a way that has integrity and meaning? So it's a big question, really, and it's uh, and it's perhaps an ongoing question in one's life, and. For me, certainly the recognition, you know, when I around the time that I first heard the Dhamma, shortly before I first heard the Dhamma, was, came across the Dhamma, the Buddha Dhamma, was um, recognizing that there was a, an unwellness, that my, my mind was not well. And because my mind was not well, my experience of the world was not well, and my experience of people was not well. And my projection into the future wasn't well. It was all pretty awful, actually, you know, from that mind. And it appeared to me that the world was that way. But what, what became clear was that the issue, the real issue, was not with the world, but with my mind. And because the mind is not, was not well, there must be some medicine that will help the mind, help heal the mind. And for me, the first message that I got was what would heal the mind was meditation. So I think that was a start. (laughs) Meditation is a really, really important start. Because in meditation, we're slowing down, we're stilling, we're um, recognizing what needs to be cleared out. We're seeing the patterns that uh, keep us trapped in a smaller reality than we need to be in. And, uh, and it shows us the addictions, certainly for me anyway, showed me the addictions that were pulling me away from what was really meaningful. So then uh, through meditation, you start to see all that stuff and then you start to want to do something about it because you realize it's painful, it's uncomfortable, it's it's uh, limiting. So that's a very important aspect of the healing process of the path. And then uh, for me, somewhat later, really understanding the value of sila, ethics, morality, how essential that is as part of the practice But if we're not keeping good sila, good ethics, then when we stop and settle in our meditation, we've got all kinds of complications coming up, maybe fears or remorse or uh, unchecked greed starts to rise up in the meditation and probably in daily life too, but we notice it more in the meditation. And so, another aspect of the healing process <clears throat> is um, aligning one's life with good ethics, and making whatever changes are needed in order for that to happen. Sometimes they, we need quite radical changes, depending on our um, you know, who we're with, our our friends, our. Our society, the people we like to hang out with, you know, might have to change the whole thing when we start to wake up to the Dhamma. It's kind of, um, it kind of has its own process in some ways. And, you know, as we practice meditation more and as we, adjust our lives to a more honest and um, kindful way of living, then uh, things start to change. And sometimes it can be a bit of an uphill struggle for a while, and that's okay, don't worry about that. It's not a problem, it's all part of it. And it won't always be uphill. but sometimes we need to work really hard. Sometimes the medicine needs to be strong. So these, uh, these practices of meditation and ethics, sila, they are in a way like vehicles for the path. And, and then there's the, the dharma itself the actual qualities of the Dhamma. So the, the qualities of the Dhamma are apparent here and now. So the Dhamma is always here, it's always now. Timeless. It's not bound by time. It's not something we did in the past or are going to get round to in the future. It's timeless. It's not something that's going to get out of date. It's timeless. It invites us to come and see for ourselves. This is one of the qualities of the Dhamma. It invites us to come and see for ourselves. Come and have a look. Come and check this out. This, This awesome... Possibility of the present. It leads onwards, it leads our practice onwards, it leads our attention inwards, it's further leading. And it's to be experienced individually by the wise. So it, it's to be experienced ourselves with our own wisdom. So, you know, it's great to listen to Dhamma talks and to read Dhamma books and chant teachings and look at the suttas. All of this stuff is really very, very good and very helpful on the path can be. And the actual insight, the actual awakening happens through as <clears throat> as I said she was saying about the excuse me the medicine bottle you know if we just read the medicine bottle if we just read the the instructions look at the, look at the bottle you know put it on a shelf and bow to it chant a little chant the bottle of medicine and it might make us feel a little bit happier for a while, but it's not going to—it's not going to cure anything. So we've got to open that bottle and take the prescribed medicine. So sometimes that medicine is bitter and uh, hard to swallow. Sometimes it's an, like an elixir, and we wonder how we ever managed before we came across it. So, uh, And it doesn't matter, actually, whether it's bitter or delicious. All that matters is that it works. So sometimes we have to experience a, a bit more dukkha, a bit more suffering, in order to find the freedom from suffering. Sometimes it goes that way. We have to face some difficult stuff. We have to work against old habits. Of limitation but it's the this is the like the, the dukkha that leads to the ending of dukkha the suffering that leads to the ending of suffering and uh, and sometimes it's delightful sometimes it's just like wonderful and sweet and delicious and we can enjoy the the process and uh be carried, you know, by the by the, the healing quality of this medicine. And you know, maybe, and at times it may be one in your life, at another at other times the other. You know, it can be both at different times. And it, it doesn't really matter. You know, of course it's nice if it's if it's easy and light and swift. Of course we all want that. But if it isn't, it, it's okay. If, if it's uh, hard going and, and uh, a bit of a struggle and feels a bit slow, but it kind of makes sense and it's still going in the right direction, then that's, that's perfect. That's perfect if that's how it is at, at, at any time. So you know we all come in with different maladies in a way and uh or different amounts you know so uh, you know when a when a human being is born any any living being but then it's stay with the humans for now, when a human being is born, we're born with you know the the uh, propensity to get ill it's just in the system you know there are there are imbalances or bacterias, or there may even be a, an illness that one's born with. And um, this is just how it is, you know? And then we, if we find the right medicine, if we have the right nutrients and the right medicine and the right care, then we may heal from those illnesses and, and uh, have a, a good long life. And it's similar with the mind, you know, when we start off, you know, or heart, I want to sort of say heart by the chitta. When we start off in in our life, you know, some you can see it with little children, you know, some children are uh, very upset, very angry, so very cantankerous. They have a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of ill will. It's like they come in with that. And uh, and so that's that will be, you know, they'll, they have that's the sort of the the illness you could say of the mind. It's, it's overwhelmed with aversion, anger, upset. So it's hard to just enjoy and be and relax because there's all of this no, no, no going on. There's a lot of no. And and that's, uh, in Buddhist terms, understood as an affliction, the affliction of anger or ill will. Or um, it may be a very contented little being, easily satisfied, not, uh, you know, sleeps well and doesn't have a lot of fuss and, Relatively, you know, doesn't get ill very much and doesn't have a lot of pain. You know, maybe it's like a quite a contented little being that comes in, and that's that's one that perhaps doesn't have so much affliction. Maybe you had to work through that another time earlier on and comes in a little bit more contented, or maybe, uh, um, you know, maybe a little little one that has strong greed. A lot of greed. I was like that little greedy one, and uh, really just like lots of wanting, lots of wanting, and enjoying the the sense experiences. And that, if one's protected, that can be okay for some time, but it can also be complicated. You know, it can get Mm. you into trouble, running after pleasant experiences and uh, so that's also greed is, is known as an affliction and then of course there's the basic delusion of I am, me, mine, which we all have as little beings, little babes, little children, it's natural, me, mine, my teddy, my cookie, my bed whatever you know it's that's that's a natural thing for us when we're little and then as we grow if there's a strong sense of me and mine and i want i don't want then uh, that becomes an affliction also so of course it's it's necessary to have boundaries and um a sense of uh Embodiment. The body is, a, is an important reference actually in our practice. So it's not about dissociating or denying ourselves or being like a doormat or anything like that, but it's about understanding this, this what I call me in mind, understanding it to be a process, an ever changing process that's influenced by what I put into it, what I eat, what I drink. What I breathe, what I read, what I watch, what I listen to, you know, all of those things, what I touch, all of those things are part of what becomes this process of, this Ananda Bodhi process in my case, is part of what becomes this process. So then when you understand that, you're more careful about what you put in, and maybe you understand it and you know, but you're not really careful because it's, you know, it's just so nice to just keep doing that thing. And I just feel so justified to get angry with that person. You know, so maybe we know, often it's like that, we know, but we can't quite stop. And uh, so it is this process of, uh, is it's not a straight line. It is like a the Buddha says um you know for one who's dedicated to the path it's like the a river heading towards this the ocean. And if you've ever seen a river from afar, from from high up, say from a mountain, looking down in the valley, a river is is it it does the it undulates, it goes left for a while then right for a while then left for a while then right it doesn't go in a straight line so it can be like that in our practice too that we know and we want to wake up and uh, we know the things that are holding us back and then we keep doing them and then we keep doing them for a while and then we get to a certain point where it's just like oh no I just I just don't want to keep doing this and so then we start turning back towards the path again towards letting go towards clarity and then we kind of forget again and then we get lost in maybe the other end of the spectrum too much greed too much wanting too much controlling and and then or grasping and then then we realize the limitations of that and like oh no I don't want to go that way and so we come back and then for a while we're aligned and then maybe again we get into like aversion and resentment and you know and so It can be like that because life is continuously presenting us with opportunities. If you hadn't noticed. So, you know, if we, if we expect the outside world to line up in such a way that we have a nice peaceful life, then we're going to be struggling a lot. So the the world will present us with all kinds of challenges And the practice is about finding a place of stability in this ever-changing world. Finding a place of, uh, finding a resting place in in what is ever-changing. So an important part of this practice is to allow the mind to come into the present. Bring, them, bring your attention into the present know what is arising now get to know the, the push of a painful feeling the pull of a desire get to know them get to know them in such a way that they don't push and pull you around that the knowing becomes stronger than the than what is known. So this is something we can do in our daily life practice. It's something we can do on the cushion also. And then there's also the the deeper settling. So if we can really put aside all of the, all of the important nagging things that we need to do for just 40 minutes, an hour maybe. We just put all that aside for a little while and then bring our attention onto the breath, onto the body and really focus the attention, really settle our attention on the body breathing or the body walking. So if we can really do that and and allow that and relax enough to allow our mind to settle then we can find a, a deeper peace and in some ways a more potent medicine where our mind disengages for a while from all of the stories of me and mine and the, the shoulds and the shouldn'ts and the, you know, have to in the future and wish I hadn't in the past or wish I had in the past. That. The mind disengages from that whole story of self and opens into the present experience. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful experience when that happens. You know, all the things we want, all the things we try and get, all the things we hope for. In a way, none of them are quite as beautiful as just resting into the present moment. Anything we can hold on to, anything we can identify with, anything we can have, is not going to be as fulfilling and as delightful as what we experience when we let go. It's a paradox. It's a beautiful paradox. And then, of course, you know, we we have maybe have that experience. We have that beautiful experience letting go, and then the mind's just clear and bright and present and and nothing sticks it's just everything's just like this it's just peaceful it's just fine even beautiful perhaps and then uh, you know life carries on and we have to maybe get up and use the bathroom or tend to something and or someone and we move out of that state and we move back into the old habit of mind. And then of course, then we want to want that nice experience back. So we try to find it again through craving, through grasping. I want that back. What did I do last time? Oh yeah, I was doing this I was sitting like this and I tried this. And But our whole attitude then is coming from a place of grasping and wanting a pleasant experience. So, we're missing that key element of letting go, of resting into, of opening. So the, the the supreme medicine of the Dhamma, you know, the healing of the Dhamma is a healing, it heals us from that constant wanting and not wanting, and from that small sense of self, that contracted little. Self that we create, and others help us to create. We all do it together, and you know. And so the the, the healing and the the dhamma medicine heals us from that that smallness, that contraction, that, uh, and that frustration, really, of of uh, trying to get what we want trying to get rid of what we don't want, trying to make the world the way we think it should be, trying to make people the way we think they should be. It's, it's, it's dukkha. So in letting go, we're kind of letting be. And... Uh, the beauty of it is that it's not a, it's not a, it's not a dull state. It's not a, it's not confused. It's clear and immediate and responsive. So when we're in that place of clarity, it's like we're fully aligned with the Dhamma. We're fully aligned with nature. And uh, nature has its intelligence, the Dhamma knows how to respond. So we don't have to fear that if we let go of the the control mechanisms we're used to, then we're just going to be uh, taken advantage of or we're going to be foolish or we're going to be confused or lost. What happens is we get out the way and wisdom arises. So, wisdom that we can't create intentionally, we can only create the causes and conditions for that wisdom to arise. But as we get out the way, we start to see this wisdom that arises that has a, that understands how to respond. It's not that we're always going to get everything right. That again is, let's get back to the ego. The ego wants to be right. You know, still make mistakes, but there's a, there's a, a, an interest, a presence and an interest and a, a willingness to explore and a curiosity and a sensitivity, a subtlety perhaps that can meet the moment. And uh, you know, the, the world is not going to deliver our ideal and for very long. It might for a little while, but it's not going to do that for very long. And if you think about it, you know, I'm not sure how many billion we are now, seven or eight billion people, a lot of people on the planet, and we all have ideals and they're all, you know, it's quite a variety of them out there. So if our I- ideals were to come true, you know, <laughs> maybe we all get a little, little bit, a little taste of it, but it's not going to just be the way we want it to be because other people want it to be a different way for different reasons. And so the world is as it is. And the the healing of the Dhamma is that it brings us into direct present awareness with things as they are. It understands what's wholesome and what's unwholesome, that wisdom. It understands what's beneficial, what's unbeneficial. It uh, understands where to put energy and where to you know, withdraw our energy from. And it is willing to embark on the process of meeting this life as it is. And of letting go of the wanting and not wanting that is so endless so endless and so painful, and so frustrating. Those afflictions. So the medicine is always found in the present. It's almost, uh, as I say that it's, uh, it's like a, there's something a little magical to it. It's not magical actually. it's just natural, but it's almost a little magical where it's like it's always here. It's always here and and we miss it and we forget and we get caught up and we get sick and we get upset and we get frustrated and uh, you know and then in, in a moment of letting go, there it is, that perfect elixir that brings us peace and well-being. And uh, so we have to train our, our attention to open to the present and to be really honest in seeing, you know, what is it that gets in the way? What is it that gets in the way of just being present? For for, for for this one, you know, for you. And not in a, not like, not then criticise yourself for it, but just out of interest. Yeah, what is it that gets in the way? What is more important than freedom right now? It's a very interesting exploration. And it's worth exploring because those you know we, we tend to keep on you know we tend to um, tends to be the same things that come up again and again for each of us different things for different people the same kind of things for one person so it's good to get to know what they are and sometimes it's quite funny you know Uh, back uh, quite a long time ago I used to smoke cigarettes started when I was quite young and it was kind of a strong habit and so when I first went to the monastery I was still smoking I was kind of trying to keep it down you know it was and but you were allowed to smoke outside and um, I remember one day really wanting to have a cigarette and I didn't have any I didn't have any and I remember thinking if I had the choice now between having a cigarette and having Nibbana, which would I want? And the answer came, I want a cigarette, you know? Mm. (laughs) And so that's what the, that's what the deluded mind does. It's like, no, give me that, give me that thing. Give me that short term hit, Give me that, you know? So it's good to see that ludicrous as it is, you know, it's good to see that because it's like, yeah, okay, that's what's playing out. That craving for some relief, some temporary relief. So in the, the Dhamma, so that's like a a medicine that doesn't really heal us. It's a medicine that's uh, you know for a minute or two we feel better, and then and then we and then the craving comes back, and then the body gets more sick, and the lungs get more cluttered up with nicotine, and you know it's not doesn't lead anywhere good and uh, the dharma is a medicine that that heals deeply it heals us of our it can heal us of our traumas it heals us of our small small uh, small self small story and it opens into a much bigger truth, bigger and more spacious, and more free, more delightful truth. So, uh, so the Dhamma, you know, it. So we need the we need the meditation in order to transform the old patterns. And we need sila, ethics, in order to um, contain the the bad habits and to transform them and to be a source of safety for others as well as for ourselves. And, And then the wisdom arises, through our practice. Wisdom is a natural result of the practice. And then that wisdom, if we take care of it, it has its own momentum. It leads towards freedom.